Well, so they didn't pay him very well. And he had a number of kids and a wife, and he just was not able to make ends meet, and and so he began looking for a part-time job. Now, these days, there are plenty of those available. Everybody's hiring, and, and he found one online that rather intrigued him. It was at the local zoo. <laughs> Thought to himself, that sounds different. So he applied, and, and he was asked to interview with the zoo manager who told him, <clears throat> now, uh, what I'm about to share is somewhat confidential. The truth of the matter is, the black bear exhibit here has been one of our most popular for decades. Last week, that bear died. Now, I need someone to dress up in a black bear costume. We'll provide it. I've got the padding. But we need someone that just growl about and act like a black bear and entertain the kids every afternoon. And the pastor thought, this sounds easy enough. It sounds interesting. I entertain people on Sunday mornings. Why not in the afternoons? The preacher agreed, and online he studied the sounds and the gestures of a black bear. He practiced, and quite frankly, he was pretty good at it. Showed up in that cage day one. He was just, he was a, a, just, you couldn't tell the difference. People loved it. Well, he's starting to feel his oats, and, and one day he climbs up this Fake tree. You know, they've got all these environments now at zoos. Nothing is real, including the tree that looks like a tree. In fact, it's got a problem. And so when he reaches the top, the thing cracks. And the pastor bear tips over with that tree, lands in the cage next door, which happens to be a lion. The lion pounces. The lion growls. The bear is petrified, and he realizes he's got no hope at all unless he can somehow wrap his arms around that lion and squeeze that lion. And so he does. He manages to get this bear hold, does a bear hug. Folks, the jokes don't get any better. And, and he squeezes this, this, this lion. It can't even breathe. And finally... He hears a voice from the lion, right? This clawing, lighting by him finally hisses, Ease up, brother. You're not the only underpaid preacher in town. <laughs> well, I don't know whether your fears are lions or bears or what they are. I do know this. We've all got fears. Every single one of us. And maybe you do have a fear of bears. I can think of a lady who should have. Who should have. Donna Munson considered the black bears that traipsed across her land in southwestern Colorado to be sort of like pets. Almost like pets. So she fed them dog food and kitchen scraps. She would poke this food through a metal fence that she, she had built around her porch, attracting many. And neighbors sometimes counted as many as 14 bears roaming across her yard at one time. 14. One Friday, one of those bears slashed through the fence on her property, dragging Donna's body underneath it. The bear then killed and ate Donna Munson. County Sheriff Investigator Joel Burke commented, Donna 
was set on continuing to feed those bears, and unfortunately, she paid the ultimate price. Now, you may never have fed a bear. I trust you haven't. But I suspect you have done something just as deadly. Just as deadly. You fed your fears. You fed your fears. And we've all got them. I mean, we fear the ravages of inflation. What are the latest numbers? Eight and a half percent? You know, if you're retirement age, that's really scary. The war against the family, we fear that. Godless choices and sexual lifestyles and gender confusion, and the list goes on and on. We fear the wickedness of our culture. We fear the implosion of our nature. We fear the erosion of our own faith. Uh, I'm reading a fresh report from Barna. This is a f- evangelical pastors now. Evangelical pastors. 30 per- 39% of evangelical pastors surveyed contend there is no absolute moral truth that each individual must determine their own truth. Only 38% maintain that human life is sacred. 37% say that having faith is more important than which faith you have. Here's the killer. 30%, almost one-third, do not believe that their salvation is based on having confessed their sins and accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. By the way, if you have never made Jesus Christ your Savior, you have the most legitimate fear of all, the fear of an eternity without Christ, eternity in hell. That doesn't have to be your destination. You can receive Jesus today, regardless of your background. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. The point is, we've all got fears, right? I've got mine, you've got yours, and your list might look different than mine, but we've all got fears. For example, I have developed an irrational fear of elevators lately. Fortunately, I can take steps to avoid them. (laughs) By the way, by the way, what do you call a fear of giants? (laughs) Fee-fi-phobia. Actually, you know, Diane and I sometimes experience moments in our home absolutely free from worry, These brief respites are known as sheer terror. (laughs) Oh, we've all got fears. We really do. The question is, what do we do with them? Isn't that the question? What do we do with them? Do we feed those fears, fixate on them, nurture them? If so, we're asking for trouble, just like Donna Munson, who fed those bears. What do you say we get some answers, some perspectives from the life of a familiar Bible character, King David. Now, as courageous and cunning as King David was, the guy did kill a bear and a lion. He had his own set of fears. And he had his own set of fearful experiences. One classic example is found in Psalm 56. I invite you to turn there, Psalm 56, if you brought a Bible with you. Now, your Bible almost certainly includes a header at the beginning of the chapter, It's the reason that David was in such a state of fear. It probably says something like, a psalm of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Now, without getting too deep and too sidetracked, what you need to know is that David was in big trouble. Um, Gath was one of the five large cities of the Philistines, one of their big towns. The Philistines, his mortal enemies, had seized him. He was now their prisoner. He was in a heap of trouble. Let's discover how David responded to his fears 
as we read Psalm 56 together out loud. Now, if you're comfortable, uh, would you mind joining me out of respect for the Word of God as we read it together? We're going to put the words up at the screen, starting at verse 1. Let's read together Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, God, for a man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My enemies have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long, they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited to take my life. Because of their wickedness, will there be an escape for them? In anger, make the peoples fall down, God. You have taken account of my miseries. Put your tears in my bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back on the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mankind do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, God. I will render thanksgiving offerings to you, for you have saved my soul from death, indeed, my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Thank you for joining me in that reading. You can be seated, please. So what can we learn from the way that David handled his fear in this fascinating account? I think he gives us three insights that we can take away from this text that will really set us in the right direction. Truth number one, fears are normal. If you're taking notes, there it is. Fears are normal. In verse three, David says, when I am afraid. It's not if I am afraid. Fear is normal. Fears will come. The clear assumption is that we're going to find ourselves in scary situations. Fear is normal. Feeling fear isn't sinful. Feeding the fear, that's sinful. That's sinful. So what does it mean to feed your fears? It means to fixate on them. It means to give them a spacious bedroom in your mind, allowing them to freely roam the hallways of your soul all night long. Anybody guilty of that? Like me? That's feeding your fears. It means to endlessly endlessly engage in what-if questions, what-then questions. Anybody here guilty of feeding their fears? Hmm. You know, I read a true story about a boy who was given a boa constrictor snake, a small one. And, of course, he fed that snake, and he fed the snake, and the snake grew. Fed it some more, the snake grew larger. That's what happens when we feed things. Snakes or fears. Well, one day, authorities could never determine whether it was accidental or intentional. 
that boa constrictor strangled that boy to death. He was, he was killed. And fears will do the same thing. They start out small, but they choke the life out of us if we continually feed them. If we continually feed them. Fears are not avoidable. Feeding them is. Fears are not avoidable. Feeding them is. Don't feed the fears. Please note, I'm preaching to myself here today. You're welcome to listen in. But this is something I need. Truth number two, fears demand choice. Fears demand choice. Verse three says, when I am afraid, I will trust. What this really means, and it's huge, every fear represents a choice. Those words, I will, are the essence of every decision. You tell a child, come here, he will or he won't. (laughs) We're out at the campground with Ava and Emma, five and three. Please don't jump on the picnic table anymore. They will or they won't. They usually won't. <clears throat> every, every single fear demands a choice. Some of us think we can let ourselves off the hook by saying things like, I just couldn't help myself. I, I, I just get so afraid. I just can't seem to tame my fears. But every response to fear is a choice. We are not helpless pawns pre-programmed to fear. Quite the contrary. 2 Timothy 1.7 assures us, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline, which means we have a choice in every fear. So when fears come your way, what choices do you make? David would tell you the only correct choice, and there are many, is to trust. David offers a great insight in verse 9 of this psalm. I like it. This I know that God is for me. How awesome is that? God is for you. He's for you. He's for, he's for me. I mean, it, it, imagine that. The Almighty on my side. He's part of my team. Or maybe I'm part of his team. How awesome is that? God is for you. Which is why David repeats his theme in verse 11. In God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. You know, when somebody like David writes something twice or three times, there's a reason. He's not just dying to dip his quill into the ink. So if if trust is the answer, what does it look like? Seems to me that's the real heart of the discussion, isn't it? What does it look like when I fear losing my job? What does it look like when I... I have worries about my aging parents. What does it look like when my health is just falling apart? Spurgeon put it this way. True trust in Christ is an entire reliance upon him. This day, if you trust Christ, you rest the whole weight and stress of your soul's affairs upon him, looking at your sin and your sinfulness, looking at the past, looking at the present, the future, looking at death and a judgment, you deliberately believe that Christ is equal to every emergency. And you just cast yourself entirely and without reserve upon him to save you and to keep you safe forever. That's a marvelous insight. Christ is equal to every emergency. I got a highlighter on that for me. Christ is equal to every emergency. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us, trust in the Lord with some of your heart, right? Come on, say it with me. You don't need the screen. Trust in the Lord 
with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Some of you have only qualified for half a slice of pizza there. I'm just, I'm just laying it out. I've got to do a little better. Uh, just a few chapters earlier in the Psalms were commanded, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. So far on this brief little tour, we've learned that trust means to pour out your heart to him, to keep your mind steadfastly on him, to acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. I think really we're talking about three different disciplines here. Discipline number one, the discipline of prayer. It's this ongoing conversation with God throughout the day. Some, some of you will remember Robert A. Cook. Walk with the king today and be a blessing. Old Bible preacher. He's with the Lord now. But uh, he used to say, and I think about it all the time, pray your way through the day. Pray your way through the day. Before you open the email, pray. Before you answer the phone, pray. Before you open the mail at home, you don't know what it's going to be, Pray. And when I'm living right, that's the kind of lifestyle that, that I'm enjoying. A discipline of prayer. A second discipline, the discipline of Scripture. It's an ongoing recitation of verses that you've learned. Now, I don't know what, uh, what bookmark you went with. The wisdom verses, the peace verses, the holiness verses, maybe the worry verses. But boy, those are great to be quoting all day long. All, it's an ongoing recitation. And the third discipline is the discipline of recall, an ongoing celebration of God's provision in the past. So interesting. We can go through so many seasons in life, have so many things, and maybe we even keep a little book, a little journal. And here's all God's answers to prayer. And there's tons of them. And yet the next thing comes along, and boy, we're going to reach for fear. We have every evidence in the world for trust our own experience, and the Word of God itself. And yet we still choose to fear. Crazy. I have to tell you, confession time, working on this sermon on fear, I began to fear. <laughs> Is that ridiculous? I was running out of time. And I had multiple projects going on, and some freelance things, and some major deadlines at work, and Nothing was coming together, and honestly, I did feel fearful. I thought, this is ridiculous. And so I had to come to a point where I just went down on my knees. I'm not saying you got to do that for me. That's just a good posture. I said, Lord, I'm afraid. I just don't have my... Please, would you help me here? I've messed up. I'm trying to do a sermon on fear, and I'm fearing. This ain't right at all. And you know, from that point onward, things started Shaping up a little bit. I wish, I wish, I wish I could live that way all the time, right? Hey, back to Psalm 56 for truth number three. Truth number three, fears are fed or fought every time you encounter them. They're fed or fought every time you encounter them. That's the essence of verse three. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Now, Hannah Whittle-Smith reminds us this is a process. It begins with the smallest step of faith and then goes from there. I like her quote. Trust in the dark, trust in the light, trust at night, and trust in the morning. And you will find that faith will sooner or later become the natural habit of the soul. It is a law of the spiritual life that every act of trust makes the 
next act less difficult. Until at length, if these acts are persisted in, trusting becomes like breathing the natural, unconscious action of the redeemed soul. Don't you want that to be your natural, unconscious action of your redeemed soul? Trust. Many of you guys are familiar with George Mueller. He's the guy that ran orphanages over in England back in the mid-1800s. And um, all of this by faith. All of it by faith. Astounding. I want you to listen to this incident where he had the choice to feed his fears, but instead fed his faith. Real-world example. He writes in his little journal, September 4th, 1844. Only one cent was in my hands this morning. Pause a moment, dear reader. Only one cent in hand when the day commenced. Think of this, and think of nearly 1,400 persons to be provided for. 1,400 breakfasts, 1,400 lunches, 1,400 suppers, and who knows what else medicine, clothing. Now that would make me fearful, afraid. But George Mueller was not in the habit of feeding his fears. You want to know how the day ended? Here's how it ended. Mueller tells us that very day, a man he had never met before once in his life stopped by, gave him a gift of money that more than covered everything he needed. George Mueller would tell you fears are fed or fought every time you encounter them. The answer to fear is trust. Feed your faith, not your fears. We feed our faith by trusting. Not trusting when we see the answer at the end of the tunnel there. Not, not demanding that we have the answer. But trusting that God himself is the answer. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. Every day, all day, you and I are making investments in one of two banks. There's the bank of fear and the bank of trust. Ooh. Looks a little spooky, that bank of fear. It should. Every choice we make in response to the apprehension that creeps into our lives is a deposit in one of those two banks. Every time we coddle our concerns, ponder our problems, we're making a deposit in the bank on the left, the bank of fear. But every time we believe our Bibles, hang on to hope, we're making a deposit in the bank of trust. So are you investing mostly in the bank of trust or are you making most of your deposits in the bank of fear? You know, the bank of fear is insured by the FDIC. Frantic despair in control. Ah, but the bank of trust is also insured by the FDIC. Father directly in control. Please note, both banks pay dividends. They do. The bank of fear pays out doubt Dread, dismay, and more fear. Anybody in for that? The bank of trust pays out dividends as well. Peace, joy, hope, and more faith. So if I could be so nosy this morning, could I just ask, how much have you invested in the bank of fear? How much have you invested in the bank of trust, what does your balance say about you? 
See, we can say lots of nice things about ourselves, our faith, and talk about nice Christian themes, and I can dress up in my nicest pair of jeans and look right, act right, talk right, smell right, but the ledger doesn't lie. The ledger doesn't lie. A few years ago, we had a little family reunion. We went up to Wisconsin, and one of our activities was an outing at the Baraboo Zoo. Maybe some of you have been there. It's one of the nation's few remaining few free zoos. And I was intrigued to discover there they had two black bears. And, you know, I wanted to get a picture of one of those bears that was out. His name was Bugaboo. But in addition to the very sturdy chain fence that they've got around these bears, there is a second fence they have a few feet back from that. So you're there with your camera, and you've got your zoom lens, and you're desperately trying to get a shot of that bear, and because you have not one but two fences, really what you end up taking when you try to take a picture of a bear is a picture of the fences. It, it, it just does not work. It, it, you know, it's, it's going to be a one-in-a-zillion shot. It's kind of frustrated because I really want... So I, I don't know what possessed me, but on a whim, I went up to the uh, keeper lady there, and I just said, uh, you know, uh, any chance I could, I could be on your side of the fence with just the one fence in front of us, you know, so I can get a better shot of the bear. Amazingly, the lady says, oh, sure, come on in. However, however, she stood with me every second I was there. Well, that bear began to come toward us. It was interesting. And she says he often does. And uh, she says she often lets the bear sniff her hand. Now, it's against the fence, or, or very close to the fence, the bear will sniff. She says, but I never, ever, ever, ever feed that bear. She will not so much as poke a piece of food through that fence, ever. That, by the way, is my shot of him on the screen. He got closer to the point where you couldn't even, he, he smushed up against the fence. In fact, he was so close that at one point he let out a snort. Imagine a bear snort. I was so close to him, I could feel the blast of his breath and smell bear breath. It is not a thing to aspire to. Let me tell you something. That will teach you the feeling of fear real fast. A bear snorting, blasting his breath in your face. You're wondering how sturdy is this fence? And why did I decide to come in here? You know, right now, as we sit here on this nice Sunday morning, and you look all nice and relaxed, the truth of the matter is you might be feeling a blast of fear. As real and as intimidating as that bear I encountered, I know this feeling. I know this smell of terror. At this very moment, you have a choice. You can feed your fear or feed your faith. I don't pretend it's easy. And I surely don't claim I have this figured out because I don't. But I beg you, don't feed the bear. <laughs> don't feed your fear. Feed your faith. And see what God does. When I am afraid, 
I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us to be doers of this word, not hearers only, to stand alongside David and so many others and hear you saying to us that you're for us. We choose to trust, Lord. In the face of fear, we choose to trust. Help us not feed our fears, but to feed our faith. In the name of Jesus, who defeated them all on the cross. Amen. Amen.